welcome to Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy. Be sure to stay tuned to the end of the show so you can hear how to get a copy of this program and other helpful documents. And now it's time for Carrie McCoy to get all up in your business. Thank you, Tim. And like Tim said, I'm Carrie McCoy, and it's time for me to get up in your business. Before we start, I want to introduce the people at the table. We have Tim Bowen, our technician, who will be taking your calls and pushing the buttons. Say hello, Tim. Hello, Tim. And recording our show to make a podcast available next week is our technician, Jesse. Thank you, Jesse. No problem. This show, Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy, began with Entrepreneurs in Mind, a platform for me, an entrepreneur, and a guest to pay forward our experiential knowledge in a conversational way. As with all new endeavors, it has had some unexpected outcomes. The one I enjoy most is hearing my guest's biography, how they worked hard, took risks, found their voice in pursuit of their destiny. Another is that business is creative, much more so than people might first think. And last, behind each of my successful guests has been the heart of a teacher. My guest today is Mr. Trey Reed from the Arkansas Game and Fish Commission and host of the TV show Arkansas Wildlife, where he teaches us fun things like how to hunt, fish, conserve, conserve, and cultivate responsibly. Whether you like to sit on a park bench or backpack through the Ozarks or a new word I learned today from Trey, hook and bullet, (laughs) I did just learn that from him, you lucky listeners will not want to miss learning about the natural state's many outdoor treasures. You may even get inspired to visit some places anew, get a tip for improving your existing sporting hobby, or begin a new outdoor activity. If you're just tuning in for the first time, you may be asking yourself, what's this lady's story and why does she have a radio show? Well, Tim is here to tell you why. Thank you, Carrie. Over 40 years ago, with only $400, Carrie McCoy founded Arkansas Flag and Banner. During the last four decades, the business has grown and changed dramatically, from door-to-door sales, to telemarketing, to mail order and catalogs, and now Flag and Banner relies heavily on the internet, including our newest feature, live chatting. Each decade required a change in sales strategy and procedures. Her business and leadership knowledge grew with time and experience, as well as the confidence to branch out into multimedia marketing that began with our nonprofit Dreamland Ballroom, as well as our in-house publication, Brave Magazine, and now this very radio show that you're listening to. Each week on this show, you'll hear candid conversation between her and her guests about real-world experiences on a variety of businesses and topics that we hope you'll find interesting. Carrie says that many business rules, like treat your employees well, know your profit margin, and have a succession plan, can be applied across most any industry. What I find most encouraging is her example that hard work pays off. Did you know that for nine years while starting Flag and Banner, she supplemented her income with many part-time jobs? And that just shows that persistence, perseverance, and patience will prevail. Today, Flag and Banner has 10 departments, and I have 25 coworkers. It reminds us all that small business is the fuel of our country's economic engine, and they empower people's lives. If you'd like to ask Carrie questions or share your experience or story, you can send an email to questions at upyourbusiness.org. Thank you, Tim. My guest today is Trey Reed, Assistant Chief of Communications for the Arkansas Game and Fish Commission, where his primary role is executive producer and host of Arkansas 
wildlife TV show. Trey's career has taken him all over our great country. Eleven years ago, he was a field reporter for ESPN2's Bass Center, where he traveled the 50 states reporting on professional bass fishing and conservation. Two of his more interesting episodes were fishing in New Orleans, post-Hurricane Katrina, and the other bass fishing in New York City's Central Park. I can't wait to hear about that. Trey started in the newspaper business as a sports writer and later as sports editor for his hometown newspaper, the Pine Bluff Commercial. And for about four years, he was the outdoor editor of the Arkansas Democrat Gazette. Today, he continues to work as a freelance writer and has had articles published in local and national magazines, including Bassmaster, Greenhead, AY, Fish Arkansas, Arkansas Wild, Arkansas Money, and Politics. Outside of his professional life, Trey hides his identity by donning a Mexican Lucha Libra mask as part of his five-time World Cheese Dip Championship team's costume, the Conchistadors. What a character. It is a pleasure to welcome to the table a man's man, the Assistant Chief of Communications for the Arkansas Game and Fish Commission, Trey Reed. Hey, what's up? Wake up over there. <laughs> I, was, uh, I was, you know, you've got to do social media all the time now. So I, I was noting that, I, you know, I, I think you said I do like 250 radio and TV appearances a year in my, in my role as assistant chief of communications for Game and Fish. But this is my very first time on KABF 88.3, and I'm very excited about it because I am an avid listener of this radio station. So you said it's on your dial all the time. It is my number one preset. Which show do you listen to? Probably the, the blue show in the afternoons is, is, is one of my favorites. And you said yeah. another one when you came in. Uh, Crossroads on Friday. It's Friday evenings, right? It's like right after the blues traffic jam. So, so. you know Tim and Jesse are the Wednesday night show. What's the kind of music that you play? We play every kind of music. Oh, yeah. I always say we that. We don't have a set genre that we play. We just well, that's even, see, that's kind of that's right up my alley because I have eclectic taste in music, so I'm all, I'm all over the So, place. Tim, your stage name on Wednesday night is what? Uh, we go by the Logger. Brothers, I'm Lou Logger. He's Bert Logger. Our show's <laughs> called Phonomania. Phonomania. All right, let's get down to what you do. I'm dying. It's really nice to meet you. Uh, let's get. You've just had a great career, but I've got to find out about this bass fishing in the New York City Central Park. Yeah, Tell bass, us the story. Bass fishing in Central Park. I, I worked uh, in 2005 and 2006 on a show called Bass Center uh, on ESPN2. Bass Center was, at the time, and still remains, the only show ESPN ever licensed under the a derivative of the Sports Center name. So that's a little. What does small that mean? Claim. Derivative well, of the you know, sports it, center. They name. don't have like uh, you know NASCAR center or uh, football center or you know hoops center. So this they is called Bass, Bass Center. center. It's like it was is essentially our show was a was sports center for fishing, professional bass fishing and conservation issues associated with, with fishing. Okay. And I say all that to lead in the conservation side of things is really what took me to New York. Uh, you ever heard of the snakehead fish? Probably because we've, we had to eradicate them in Arkansas or attempt to eradicate them about eight or nine years ago. Is that the gar? It's it, snakehead is a, is an Asian fish that was brought here, uh, potentially as a food fish in the 1990s primarily. Uh, and then the federal government said, no, we don't need this foreign fish. We may have, you've heard of the, the silver carp that escaped 
mainly sewer ponds and, and wastewater treatment facilities in Arkansas oh, in gross. the 70s, and now we've got this foreign invader that's threatening the Great Lakes. And what's well, the name of it again? The Asian carp, the silver carp. But the this fish I'm talking about is the snakehead, and, and very popular food fish in, in Asia. And somehow either people released them or whatever they showed up uh in the in a little small pond in maryland uh, this was in i think 2002 was the first time uh they were known to exist in the wild outside of a farming operation pretty soon they showed up in the potomac river they are an established fish in the potomac river now obviously you know from a conservation standpoint anytime you have an exotic uh, a, a foreign invader like that they can compete with your native fish and that's and not just fish uh, we can be talking about vegetation or any type of animal it's not a good good thing to, to introduce uh, animals that aren't native to to an ecosystem um, well they one had shown up in uh, new york out in the flushing meadows area not far from shea stadium in the queensboro so we went up there to do a story about it and uh we actually hired a, 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 a Chinese interpreter and spent like one night in Chinatown trying to get somebody to sell us a live snakehead to show like this is how easy a fish could go from a market to being released into a body of water. Okay, so I'm interviewing a, a biologist from uh, New York's version of Game and Fish. I think they call it New York Department of Environmental protection I, I'm, I'm not it, it, it's kind of like our adeq and game and fish sort of lumped together in new york but anyway fisheries biologist and i'm and you know i ask a question i said look you know I, I don't i don't mean this in a bad way but look around us we're in queens we're you know there's shea stadium over there there's skyscrapers everywhere why should anybody really be worried about the presence of this exotic fish? I mean, what, what native fishery are we concerned about here? And he said, well, actually, um, the, the, there are a couple of ponds in Central Park, and they have some of the highest densities of largemouth bass of any of the water bodies that we electrofish sample in the entire state of New York. And I said, get out of here. You're kidding me, Right. He said, "No, absolutely." I, you know, and so he said, "I'll, I'll, I'll email you the, uh, you know, the, the, the data sets we have." And I'm like, well, this is great. So I, you know, we're there for the snakehead story, but I'm looking over at the producer and the and the uh, cameraman that, that that I'm working with, and I'm like, "We got it. We've got another story here." I'm going fishing in Central Park. So I remembered a few years earlier reading a story in Field and Stream magazine about there's one sort of like, you know, there's a couple of like Orvis fly fishing tackle shops in Manhattan, but there's one kind of old school sort of bait and tackle shop called Central Fishing Tackle, and it's in the Chelsea neighborhood of Manhattan. So I looked it up. Found, I, I called the guy, talked to the manager, and I said, Hey, you know, I'm Trey from ESPN. We're doing this story on snakeheads, but they tell us there's this fishery here. I didn't have fishing tackle or anything with me. Can you like get us hooked up with somebody? Do you know anything about this? It's like, Yeah, man, I've got a guy that lives around the corner that fishes there all the time. Come on down to the store. We bought some baits. He loaned us some tackle. The next morning, I take the subway from our hotel in Queens to uh, Central Park, and we go out there. It, it, it was just, I mean, I'm talking about it, and I mentioned it in, in the bio that I sent you because it was truly a, I mean, it was a once-in-a-lifetime experience. It, it Do you have was, to get a special permit? 
No, no, you just have a, uh, I had to buy a non-resident fishing license for, for New York, but, but that's it. You know, I mean, there are people, we went that afternoon before we fished and actually there were people lined up around the lake. And and if, if you have ever seen a movie that has a scene in Central Park, you've seen the lake I'm talking about. It's the one with the gondolas and the, the uh, stone archway bridge. I mean, it's been in countless movies over the years. So uh, we go out there and the, you know, the people are taking the gondola rides and everything, but there's a handful of people around fishing and we did some interviews with them. Uh, there was actually uh, a, a writer for, I think he still works for Forbes, if I'm not mistaken, named Monty Burke. He's originally from Birmingham, Alabama, and he had just at the time written a book called Sow Belly about the several people that were really like obsessive about trying to catch the next world record bass. So we kind of, we called Monty and got him down there and, and he did a little interview with us and he said, yeah, I've actually come down here and fished a little bit before, but it, it was amazing in that at six o'clock in the morning, you know, New York may be the city that never sleeps, but it was still in the park. It was kind of quiet and you weren't hearing sirens. And if you look down at the water and you're thinking about the fish and trying to feel that bait or watch for a strike or, or, you know, depending on the type of lure you're moving, you really kind of forget where you are for a minute. And then you look up and there's the Dakota where John Lennon lived. And then, you know, there's the building that the, uh, the, uh, Ghostbusters, uh, uh, skyscraper was, was based off of. And you're like, well, I'm really in Manhattan. I'm in the middle of New York City. Now, as the day progressed and, you know, the city started to come to life, you, life, you, you, you got those sirens and cabs and horns honking and all that. But it was – and we caught the heck out of the fish. Uh, you did? <laughs> we did. Were they we, big? Not a lot of big ones. You know, two, two and a half pounds were probably the biggest fish. But, I mean, I probably caught 15 or 20 fish that, you know, like two or three hours that morning. Why are there not a bunch of people standing around fishing? I think part of it is, you know, you're so close to the saltwater there. There's a lot of fishing in the East River and the Hudson and, and obviously, you know, the, the saltwater in the Atlantic, you know, and off of Long Island. So probably more of a saltwater fishing culture in the city itself. And a lot of people retreat from the city and go upstate. And, and there's a, there are really some nice fisheries in uh, the Finger Lakes in upstate New York, St. Lawrence River, the uh, uh, Lake Oneida near Syracuse. These are some of those larger lakes. Uh, you know, the, the Bassmaster Tournament Series, yeah, they still go there to this day. And uh, we, So did you fish off a boat or off the side of the bank? Off the bank. Well, they yeah. didn't let you take a boat? No, I don't think they'll let you fish from the from those gondolas that you can rent. Okay, before we get into the, all the Arkansas game and fish stuff, uh, you were born and raised in Pine Bluff, Arkansas. That's right, yeah. Did you always want to do what you're doing? No, not really. Uh, when I was young, I, I wanted to, uh, I, I kind of flipped back and forth between wanting to be in the performing arts some way, like an actor. Well, you kind of are. Uh, or I wanted to be a football coach. I know those are very uh, disparate sort of career paths to take, but those were two of the things that I thought a lot about when I was younger. I think you kind of found it. And for everybody that doesn't know, you are big. How tall are you? Uh, about six one. Yeah, you seem bigger than that. You seem larger, taller to me than that. But um, my boots, you know, it's your boots. It's my two inch heels. So uh, <laughs> there's the theater part in him. Uh, so yeah, I think you've you've I think you found the balance. 
I, I, I really enjoy what I'm doing. and, and uh, But you're a writer, a, too. I, I am, yes, absolutely. And that's honestly always – I found writing in high school and, and really sort of – I guess I, you know, blossomed as a writer in college. I had a professor at UALR named Huey Crisp, who I took multiple classes from, and it just really—that's I, I knew then. I, I, once I got into those classes, and I I got some positive feedback. It's like I want to be a writer, and I still, despite being on TV all the time. I would call myself a writer first and foremost, and the the TV, the public relations stuff is sort of second, in my mind at least. I think that's really interesting that I don't think people really realize about you. This is a great place to take a break. When we come back, we'll continue our conversation with Trey Reed from the Arkansas Game and Fish Commission. We'll get him to choose what his favorite outdoor recreation is and where his favorite places are. We'll also talk about conservation, cultivation, water shortages, quail hunting, which my father used to do a lot of, and the business of Arkansas Game and Fish. You're listening to Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy. If you miss any part of this show, a podcast will be made available next week at flagandbanner.com's website. If you prefer to listen on iTunes, YouTube, or SoundCloud, you'll find those links there as well. Lots of listening options. We'll be right back. Well, now take down your fishing pole and meet me at the vision hole. We may not get a bite all day, but don't you rush away. What a great Plays to rest your bones and mighty fine for skipping stones. You feel fresh as a lemonade setting in the shade. Whether it's hot, whether it's cool. Wow, that's Andy Griffith for everybody that doesn't know. And if you're under, I don't know, do you even does anybody under thirty even know who Andy Griffith is? That's Opie's dad. And does anybody even know who Opie is? That's oh. Ron Howard. Ron Howard. I know. He was such a cute little boy. One of the best directors of our generation. He was a cute little actor, too. All right. You're listening to Up In Your Business with me, Carrie McCoy. I'm speaking today with Trey Reed from the Arkansas Game and Fish Commission and host of the Arkansas Wildlife TV show. All right. I'm flipping channels this week. I'm watching Channel 4, and your show comes on, and you're fishing for smallmouth bass on the Cato River, River with stank bait is that the real name of the bait or do you just not know how to pr- pronounce stink it is a bait with a uh, i think with they call their you know all the not all but many of the lure companies now with when you're fishing with artificial soft plastic baits they put some sort of you know formula in there some scent to sort of entice the fish to to bite it and honestly the name of the scent on this particular bait was stank Obviously, clearly a marketing ploy. Uh, I mean, it's gotten you wondering, I mean, about it. So it, it's uh, effective, I would say. Now, there's, a, <laughs> there's a lot to say about that, but I'm going to keep from saying it. You, you, <laughs> well, it's just, you know, the, the, the FCC could, could get upset if we went too far down uh, that's the That's right. Hole. That's right. You know, it's a good thing that, uh, I mean, there's no woman that would ever say, let's market something and call it stank and think that it's ever going to sell. I would say that will never sell in a million years. There Anybody that doesn't think men and women are different or wrong, I'm not, th- not that I'm trying to say that we w- don't want to be treated equally, but we are definitely different. There is no way I'd ever buy anything that had the word stank on it. You know, it's funny because uh, th- there's an old saying that, you know, but you're not trying to hook fish when you develop a new bait. You're mm-hmm. trying to hook fishermen. 
And you, oh. you, you, I used to have a blast. Some of the freelance writing I've done was for uh, Bassmaster Magazine, mm-hmm. and I, I had a kind of a recurring little part of the section that I wrote for them where I had fun with the names of some of the bait colors. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, margarita is a favorite color. Tequila Sunrise, mm-hmm. uh, Mardi Gras. I mean, well, yeah, uh, I know for, exactly what colors those are. The, well, Mardi Gras, yeah. Uh, how about California Four Twenty? Uh, with pink. The, pink. Uh, no, it's a green color. Oh, it's with green. Some, oh, yeah. Darn, I should have known that. I wish I'd have seen the hand some signals. Red or gold in there. Stop I don't know. now. All right. Uh, so I have actually fished on the Cato River before, but we didn't fish with stank bait. We fished with a Rebel Cray. I can't believe catch, we said hey, no reason. a Rebel Crawfish proudly made in Fort Smith, Arkansas. Oh, really? Well, we had a saying that day uh, catch fish all day with Rebel Cray, and it worked. We did it. We caught fish on the Cato all day long. So talk to me about fish in Arkansas, spawning, where and when, can you, in bait, and I mean, I never know what. You know, Carrie, the thing about it is there are so many ways to fish in Arkansas, so many different types of fish, and I, and, and really what it, that boils down to is the diversity of, of our aquatic habitats, you know, because we're a diverse state. Uh, we've basically got everything but salt water, you know. Uh, the thing is, you've got, you know, let's start in the Delta, since I'm kind of a child of the Delta, being from Pine Bluff, and you've got the slow, sluggish bios, the uh, the Arkansas River, the Mississippi River, they're, they're flat, they're widening out, they're reaching, you know, the, their, their termina- terminus. And those are catfish? Uh, uh, yeah, lots of catfish, largemouth bass, things like that. You know, we've, we've got, the species are pretty consistent across the state with some exceptions but the types of water and like where the better fishing for certain species may be and then let's move north and west into the washita's and ozarks and we've got clear cooler mountain streams like trout yeah we've got the trout now trout are not a native species they were they were when we built dams you know in the uh in the mid-20th century for hydropower and for uh, flood control in the ozarks and washita's the cold water that that came out from the bottom of the dams after hydropower generation killed our native smallmouth bass in those streams like the White River, the North Fork uh, in particular, below Beaver Dam uh, in northwest Arkansas. So trout were introduced as mitigation for the loss of those warm water species. But we still have places like the Buffalo, the Kings River, uh, the Washita River, where we've got those native smallmouth. Uh, we've got walleye. Uh, uh, a lot of people think of walleye as a northern fish, you know, we Minnesota. Absolutely. For a long time, uh, the world record walleye, at least under one one group's definition of world record you know it's kind of like boxing you've got the wbc the wba the ibf you have different groups that kind of recognize world records in fishing uh but one world record walleye came from greer's ferry lake so we, we i mean what's the best fish you like to catch on greer's ferry me you know i'm not a huge fan of greer's ferry although you can catch a lot I like to fish for smallmouth bass in Ozark streams primarily, but also Washita streams. And I'll tell you why. First of all, I think pound for pound, you won't find a, a, 
a, a meaner, a stronger, a feistier fish than a smallmouth bass. Now, in our Ozark and Washita streams, they don't get huge. I mean, the north, the Great Lakes and places like that. I was talking about the Finger Lakes in New York. They're known for producing big smallmouth bass. I think our state record is a little over seven pounds, so that's not a huge smallmouth. But... You know, a three to four pound fish in one of our Ozark streams is a giant. You saw the episode, yeah. and I caught that fish is probably close to four pounds. That's a large that smallmouth fish. Uh, was close to four pounds? Well, wait, oh, wait a sorry. minute. Wait a minute. That little <laughs> fish. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Carrie. I mean, it wasn't now, that big. It wasn't. It wasn't a giant. I mean, you know, we our state record largemouth is like sixteen pounds. So, but, but for a smallmouth, it was a big fish. It was. It was a four pound smallmouth is a giant, especially mm-hmm. from these small streams we're talking about. Mm-hmm. But I like doing that for a couple of reasons you can uh you can get some exercise fishing out of a kayak or a canoe right small uh, a, a fishing guide friend of mine once said small mouth don't live in ugly places and that's <gasps> another reason i like fishing for that's small a mouth. tweetable moment uh, there, I mean, it's just, you know, just think about, you know, being on the Buffalo River. I mean, I it is truly Arkansas's gift to the world. I mean, it, it is a national treasure that we're lucky to live an hour and a half from here in central Arkansas. And, you know, you look up at those bluffs and, you know, and the, the, the majesty of your surroundings and you look down and you've got smallmouth bass there. And that's one of the reasons I really enjoy smallmouth. And they're great fighters and they're just so much fun to catch. And I'll let every one of them go. That was my second question. Do you cook them? Not a smallmouth. I would never keep a smallmouth. And, and why? Because they're too hard to clean. Uh, no, because they're. Yeah, I meant you were talking about how how they're not huge. Yeah. They're not giant fish. Their growth rates in our our mountain streams in Arkansas are just incredibly slow. That fish mm. you saw, that four pound fish yeah. that I caught on the Caddo River, was probably a 12 to 15 year old fish it took wow. it that long to get that big. i didn't know fish live that long well, oh no yeah wonder you throw them back bless their little hearts alligator gar uh, a truly prehistoric fish that we have in arkansas not a big sport fishery for it but but a, a very interesting and in, an incredible fit i mean it truly has been around since the age of the dinosaurs and they they live to be some estimates 60 70 80 years old and you catch those in the Arkansas River, right? You can catch those in the the Arkansas, the White, the Mississippi drainages, those big uh, rivers, Washita River down in around Felsenthal National Wildlife Refuge. But they're they've seen better days. They've been vilified for years, and by, you know, they eat sport fish. They're they're no good anglers accidentally catch one on a, a trot line or a yo-yo and they throw it up on the bank it's a bad fish a lot of that is probably uh, overblown i mean they're part of the ecosystem they're here for a reason and we're really trying to work with anglers now at game and fish and do a lot of research on on our side of things to uh, bring the alligator gar back to prominence in arkansas so there's a fish that spawns um certain time of the year because my husband always goes up and it's on the little red river uh, no the, uh, no okay it's down towards hot springs Okay. And it's got uh, a big, uh, big stripe. You have to cut oh, out the, of it. the the hybrid stripe the bass. The hybrid stripe bass. Yes, or stripe bass. So, so both of those fish are neither one of those fish is native to Arkansas. The striper is actually a, a saltwater fish. And back in the, I believe it was in the late forties or fifties, they were building Santee Cooper Reservoir, a lake in South Carolina. They dammed up the lake. Well, the the Santee and Cooper rivers go to the Atlantic Ocean. Well, they trapped striped bass, because striped bass run up into freshwater estuaries to spawn and then go back out to sea. Well, they trapped the fish in there, and after several years, people are still catching them. They're like, well, 
striped bass or stripers can live in fresh water. So in a lot of these large upland reservoirs like Washita and uh, uh, North Fork and North Arkansas uh, and other places across the, the south and across the country, we have stocked stripers as just another fishing opportunity. And, and so, but they still make their false spawning runs. They sure do. And then the hybrid striped bass is a cross between our native white bass and then these introduced stripers. So the hybrid striped bass is essentially a creature of the laboratory. We, we grow those at our fish culture facilities that we have at Game and Fish. It's a GMO fish. But they make these false spawning runs and they are really a lot of fun. It's like salt water fishing here in landlocked Arkansas. It, they just jump out of the water. They can pull like a runaway Buick. And they can just jump all around you and you think they're, and then never get on your hook. Drives me that, crazy. Yeah, that's that's uh, you know uh, that's a fisherman. I'm trying nightmare. to remember this quote: uh, "Fishing is the pursuit of uh, what is elusive but attainable." The Scottish statesman John Buchan. So, quail in Arkansas, Bob White. My grew up eating quail that my father oh, caught, man. and I saw it on your show where they're trying to bring it back. Big, big focus of the Game and Fish Commission right now, and, and you're right. I mean. People, you know, and and I'm, you know, I'm 47 and I'm kind of right at that cutoff point. Like I remember my dad talking about quail hunting and having bird dogs. We never did it together because quail populations by the seventies and early eighties, when I was coming of age and going hunting with him, uh, were, were really starting to disappear. So if you're, you know, let's say 50, sort of the cutoff point, if you're older than 50, you have fond memories of quail hunting in Arkansas. If you're younger, probably not so much because and it, the, the decline of the bobwhite quail in Arkansas has largely been a function of loss of habitat. And that's really anytime we're talking fish or wildlife, it's all about habitat or habitat is the biggest piece of the pie when we're talking about populations. And, but it's especially true for the bobwhite. You think about, uh, we had a lot of small farms, even like small dairy farms up like North of Conway and sort of the foothills of the Ozarks and, and, and people, did not farm clean. The, they fed their cattle native grasses and things like that, and their fence rows were had brush and stuff growing up around them, and that's great quail habitat. Well, now, drive by a farm up there. First of all, they're very... Uh, they've they've replaced the native grass with fescue, which it's is so well for, groomed. For, I can't stand it. Yeah, but that well quail habitat. I was talking about smallmouth live in beautiful places. Quail habitat is not very attractive. It's not there's not an aesthetic with quail habitat. It's overgrown and shrubby and bushy and scraggly trees that aren't very big yet and. But it's great habitat for quail. And, uh, and so we're, you know, we're trying to, you know, we can't, you know, tell people what to do on their land. But what we're doing is for people who want to bring back quail, we can say, here's some things you can do. You mm -hmm. know, let the brush grow on your fence line a little bit. Uh, Introduce uh, fire to the landscape. You know, fire suppression was the rule of the 20th century where we... We, you know, Smokey the Bear did too good a job. Only you can prevent forest fires. And yes, catastrophic wildfires are terrible. We've seen it in California, uh, you know, over the past few months. But some fire on the landscape is a good thing. It's always been there. Lightning strikes have caused fires. Uh, Native Americans used fire extensively to, to help manage habitat. They knew what was going on. What you do when you, when you introduce fire to the landscape, 
you kind of set it back. You get rid of some of the things you don't want, and it clears that leaf litter off the ground. And so those those native grasses and forbs in the seed bed, ah, I can I can breathe again, and they they spring to life. And and those are the kind of things that 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 are great for for quail. And ash is a great fertilizer. Absolutely. So there's there, there's a lot of things we're doing. You know, pr- the difference with quail is going to happen on private land because right. you know we. we Public land represents maybe 10% of the land mass of Arkansas. So if we're going to make a difference, we got to get landowners to buy into the program and, and do some things to, well, to encourage quail You're going to have to get money in there for them to buy into it in their land. But that's the beauty, Carrie. There what? is money. There is there is federal grant money available. We've got money available at Game and Fish. We'll, let you, we'll loan you a seed drill to, to plant native grasses. There are things out there. I, I don't, I'm not here to pitch Game and Fish. You I know what we're, we're talking about. You know. Well, I mean, I know that's what I do every day. Yeah. But uh, so there is some grant money. Go to agfc.com, our mm-hmm. website. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a quail page there, and there's a lot of uh, check out our private lands program. We have 10 biologists around the state, wildlife biologists that are essentially consultants that will come out you could pay big bucks for it's absolutely free they'll come out and tell you here if you want more white-tailed deer here's what you should do you want oh, a whale here's what you can do you want to see birds you want to you know watch wildlife here's what you should do tim let's take a quick break and then we'll come right back and we're going to talk about deer hunting duck hunting water shortages and the business of arkansas game and fish and everybody get their pen and paper ready because when we come right back after two minutes we're going to give you the number so that you can call in you're listening to up in your business with carrie mccoy if you miss any part of the show a podcast will be made available next week at flagandbanner.com's website if you prefer to listen on itunes youtube or soundcloud you'll find those links as well lots of listening options we'll be right back Come the ducks hit the high baller. Shut up the dogs stare at the water. I'll say when hold on y'all wait. You're listening to Up in Your Business with me, Carrie McCoy. I'm speaking today with Trey Reed from the Arkansas Game and Fish Commission and host of the Arkansas Wildlife TV show. All right, we got a lot to talk about in 20 minutes to do it. Deer hunting. That's my husband's favorite thing to do. He went out in 25-degree weather and sat in a stand with my youngest son and got up at 4 o'clock in the morning to do it. That just seems to me like somebody without good sense. Well, now you'd have a hard time telling that to our, you know, 300,000 plus deer hunters in Arkansas. Is that how many there are? That's that's an estimate. You know, we sell roughly 250,000 hunting licenses a year. How many? 250,000. What do you do with the profits from that? Does it go into the general fund or is it no specifically to something? No, it goes specifically to game and fish. No, it does go into our general general fund. But uh, hunting license and fishing license sales represent about a third of our revenue. Mm. Uh, uh, This is not precise, but roughly a third is from hunting and fishing license sales. That's a lot. One third is from... 
federal money through the Dingle Johnson and uh, Pittman Robertson funds, which are the Sport Fish and Wildlife Restoration Acts. Uh, and so anytime somebody buys a fishing pole, a trolling motor, uh, a gas-powered motor, a boat, uh, a shotgun shell, a rifle bullet, a rifle itself, a bow and arrow, there are excise taxes on that at the federal level that are passed back to the states on a proportional basis based on their fishing license. So we've got a third of our revenue from, from, uh, license sales, a third from those federal, uh, programs. And then the other third, we're very fortunate in Arkansas, thanks to amendment 75, which passed in uh, 1996 and went into effect in 1997. That's the one eighth cent conservation sales tax, uh, state parks, you know, everybody, every time you buy something in Arkansas, one eighth of a cent tax is collected for conservation. Now, Game and Fish gets 45% of that. State Parks gets 45%. uh, Natural Heritage gets 9%. And Keep Arkansas Beautiful gets 1% of that. So we get a little less than half of, of that sales. So that amounts to another, you know, 20, $25 million a year that, that we are, that we, Arkansas and Missouri are the only two States in the country that have a dedicated conservation sales tax. And I mean, I have to say that being a native Arkansan and now working for game and fish, it's a source of pride. I'm glad that, that the people of our state uh, saw that it was important enough to, to pass a tax. How, how when do, mm-hmm. You know, when, right. when do people want to pass a tax? But that that conservation and preserving our natural resources and our wild places was important enough to them that they said, you can tax me for that. Wow, I love that. So uh, deer hunting, chronic waste and disease. I think I listened to something online where you talked about deregulation in 2016, uh, baiting and feeding. Um what would happen if deers weren't hunted? Yeah. Where do you find out the current rules for deer hunting? There's a lot you can talk yeah, about. Yeah, chronic wasting disease is the big headline of deer hunting in Arkansas for the past year. We we found out in February of last year, just about uh, 11 months ago, that an elk that was uh, taken by a hunter, we have a very limited uh, permit-only elk hunt around the Buffalo River, um, tested positive for chronic wasting disease. What is that? Uh, well, boy, we could really spend a lot. I'll try to make it brief and simple, but chronic wasting disease was first detected in a captive mule deer in 1967 in Fort Collins, Colorado, a pen that was, uh, Colorado state university and a a federal research uh, group was, uh, were, were studying mule deer and, they kept dying mysteriously and they would get emaciated and they drooled and they salivated and urinated excessively and they couldn't satiate their thirst. And so they started studying it and found out that it was, it's called a prion disease. A prion is a misshapen protein, uh, that natural, a protein that naturally occurs and something happens to make that protein, uh, kind of, uh, it's, it's abnormal. It's formed funny. Now that, abnormality causes those proteins to kind of conglomerate and it essentially the technical term it's a transmissible spongiform encephalopathy or a tse but there are scientists to work there there are it it, okay you've heard of mad cow disease i was just 
just going to say, is that something like mad cow disease? Mad cow is also a TSE. Scrapey in sheep is a TSE. And Creutzfeldt Jakob disease in humans. So we've got it in Arkansas. We've got it in Arkansas. But is it in the whitetail or is it just in that elk? It's in the whitetail as well. We we went and sampled uh, whitetail deer in that area and elk as well and found that it was pretty prevalent, 23% prevalence So how do you know if, what if you kill a deer? Because we eat the deer meat that Brady kills. Are we going to go crazy? We have tested deer in all 75 counties, and I mean thousands and thousands and thousands of deer, and we have only so far found it. We just added... We found it in three additional counties this hunting season. Those new counties are Washington, Sebastian, and Benton counties. The uh, original seven counties where we found it last year when we first, you know, detected that the disease was present. I'm I'm on the spot here. Okay, Newton County was was sort of the epicenter of of this CWD detection. Where's Newton County? Jasper. uh, Oh, oh, gosh, really? Okay. Yeah, Newton County, uh, Searcy County. Boone County, Harrison, Carroll County, North Central Arkansas primarily, there, yeah. and now Northwest Associates. Where the big deer are. Uh, Isn't that where the big deer are? Some, probably the biggest deer in Arkansas are, are over in East Arkansas, the Stuttgart. Delta. Yeah, Arkansas County, Deshea County, up and down the Mississippi River. Uh, deer and, and fish, really all wildlife for that matter, are a product of the. Uh, the ground they walk around on. So the most fertile land in the state is in the Delta and therefore the, the kind of bigger deer are, are there as well. But, uh, you know, I, without me, I, I could probably name the counties if I kept going, but you can go but to AGFC. Like okay, there, go there are 13 counties total where we, we, and you can go where it. to find AGFC.com slash CWD. And that's not, I mean, we've got maps there, but also loads of information about what does this mean to you? If you want to eat your deer, what does it mean? If an animal tests positive, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention says you should not eat that animal. Now, What if I do accidentally and don't know it? There have been no known cases of people eating he a CWD positive. No, 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 no. Hey, I've, been, I've talked about this a lot. There are no known cases of, of humans eating a CWD positive deer and, and contracting the disease. We don't know that... that to our knowledge, and I say our, I'm talking about the scientific community, not just game and fish. CWD cannot infect humans. It is a disease of cervids, uh, white-tailed deer, mule deer, elk, moose, caribou, reindeer. Can you tell if it's if a deer is infected with it? You can in the latter stages of the but disease, but not in the early. But not part. in the early stages. Here's what we've been doing. Are they going to make a kit so we can test them all? No, uh, <laughs> but here you can. We have participating taxidermists around the state. Okay. Uh, we man check stations during the opening weekend of gun deer season in that area where we know the disease is present. Uh, we'll test the animals for you that weekend. You can take them to taxidermists. There's a few veterinarians around you the get, state. You take it and get it ground up, and they throw your meat in with everybody else's meat when they're starting. They go like, tonight we're well, going to do deer they, meat. They they shouldn't do that. But they, they do. Well, here's here's another thing, and this is really, you know, I'm just speaking as, as a deer hunter myself but game and fish does not regulate the processors the the processing industry in arkansas really is not regulated by anybody (gasps) i'm gonna get my own grinder uh, i have one but carrie (laughs) I, i would be very surprised that if in the next legislative session you do not see that issue taken up by the general assembly and try to introduce some sort of 
regulatory authority over these processors. Now, let's face it, a lot of them are mom and pop yeah. operations. And, you know, there's people just trying to make an extra buck. And I mean, you know, I don't, I'm not advocating for onerous government overreach or anything right. like that. But, you know, at the same time, food safety is a pretty important thing to, to, to worry about. And, uh, you know, and that's the thing, you know, Game and Fish is not a, a public health organization. So we defer to the Arkansas Department of Health and the Centers for Disease Control. And, you know, they say, if you hunt in an area where you know the disease is, you should probably have it tested. And if it tests positive, don't eat it. Uh, now, the thing is, sometimes the animals are obviously sick. We just say, don't shoot that animal. But we have said Actually, that for shoot years. it and get rid of it. Wouldn't you want to? Well... Is that not good either? Yeah. Because then other animals eat it? It's going to die anyway of the disease. CWD is an always 100% fatal disease. So what's your your favorite thing outside activity to do? We're going to do the seasons in the winter. Uh, Duck hunting. Of course. I love to duck hunt. Hey, we live in the duck capital of the world. That was the thing my father introduced me to first, and therefore it's it's, it's very active. You can talk. You don't have to be still and quiet on the deer stand. And so I like that. It's a very social type of hunting and lots of action. What about the water shortages they're talking about? Yeah, that's something we really need to pay attention to. Believe you know, the alluvial warming? and uh, absolutely. No, I don't think it's something you believe in. I right. think you look at the science and it's, it's happening. So is it going to affect Stuttgart in our Delta area? I think it already is. I mean, the uh, we've known since the 1920s that we were using water. Uh, I'm using the editorial collective citizenry we here. But we've known that we were withdrawing water from those aquifers uh, at a rate greater than they could replenish themselves. And so for people that don't know what we're talking about, it's the farmers versus the duck hunters down no, there. No, no, no. Don't I, don't, I, don't, I don't want to couch it in those terms. Because okay. duck hunters are, are, are farmers, and farmers are duck hunters, and, and, and a lot of duck hunting takes place on farms. I, I don't think... the I think what it is is responsible water use, and we've got to figure out new ways to do things. And I think farmers are doing that. It's, uh, um, you know, we've there's several irrigation projects on the board right now: the Biomeda Irrigation District, the Grand Prairie Irrigation Project, that are going to try to divert surface water from the Arkansas River, the White River, and there may be another set of issues that we're not thinking about there. I'm not advocating for or against, but using surface water is one way to prevent using that groundwater from those aquifers. So, for people that don't know what the pros and cons are. Well, so really what you've got going on, Arkansas is the largest rice producer in the country. We produce 50% of the nation's rice. And, and the farmers want to flood their fields. You have to. That's how you grow rice. You grow it in water. And rice is one of the most water-intensive agricultural crops in the country. So we have to have that water. I mean, obviously, that's a huge part of our economy as well. when they drain down the water in the river, in the, the, river, in, in, then in the, the duck aqua- hunting goes. Well, it's not so much that. What it's it, the, It's not really an issue. It's not really a duck hunting farm. Thing the the issue I think is long term sustainability. I mean we're talking a lot of communities depend on this water for municipal drinking water. Uh, you know if we want to be able to continue to grow rice and 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 have sustainable agriculture, which is the number one industry in the state of Arkansas, we've got to use and be be careful how we use that water. Let's get this caller. Hello, we've got a caller. You're listening. You're talking to Trey Reed. Do you have a question for Trey from the Arkansas Game and Fish? I do. Uh, on the CWD topic, uh, there's I bought some hunting property up in Madison County, which is one of the counties in the CWD zone. Yes, and um, 
this last year, I was looking for locations to have a deer tested. And outside of opening weekend, there seemed to be a very minimal number of participating taxidermists um, in in that area. Uh, is there a push or is there going to be a push or some sort of incentive to get more taxidermists or processors on board to do that testing? Because realistically, it, it's it, it would take hours to get that done at this point from where I hunt. I mean, it's a great point. And, you know, one of the things that we're up against there is, you know, as you're talking about the travel, to, it's a very rural part of the state. It's not easy to get around on those two lane highways in the Ozarks. They, you know, they, they, they twist and turn up and down. But uh, to answer your initial question, yes, we are constantly uh, seeking taxidermists processors and and others uh, potentially veterinarians uh to to try to help us do that because you know here's the bottom line we know that hunters want to have those animals tested i mean like i said we encourage you to have it tested since you hunt in an area where we know the disease is potentially present so on the other side of that it helps us have a larger data set and to understand the disease better where it could be spreading. So we, we have a vested interest in collecting more samples. So we are definitely trying to get more people on board That's to pull point. those samples. That's for a us. great point. Thank you caller for your question. Oh, wait, one more. Yeah. Is there any way uh, in the future that there would be some sort of system where a hunter could take his own sample and send it in somewhere to have it tested? You know, the, the problem with that is, is the accuracy of, and the viability of the sample, you know, I'm in, you, you may be able to quickly and easily, uh, <clears throat> you know, cut the neck of a deer and pull the lymph node out, but you know, another guy might not be, you know, so that's, you know, that's, that's the problem you have with that, um, yeah, I'm not saying it's outside of the realm of possibility, but you know, there's, you know, being scientific about it and wanting to have a good sample uh there's a little bit of an issue with just like hey yeah pull the sample for us and you know you might get a viable lymph node and and, and you might not that's a logistic problems all right thank you caller thank you you're welcome uh all right spring where's your favorite place to go in the spring oh i love to be uh like to turkey hunt in the ozarks and i like to smallmouth bass fish probably on the king's river would be one of my favorite places near Eureka Springs and Berryville. Love the Kings River. I, probably one of my favorite places in Arkansas. Mm-hmm. I've heard that before. Uh, summer. Uh, summertime, I'm looking for some air conditioning. No, I'm kidding. Uh, you know, er, 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 uh, but I, honestly, my, my outdoor recreational pursuits go way down in the summertime. I do it either really early in the morning or late in the evening. Uh, but again, you know, I like those smallmouth streams because, you know, if you get hot, just go for a, go for so a swim. So you're not a water sports person. I'm not really. I don't like crowds and, you know, lakes like Hamilton and even Washita in the summertime get pretty busy with the recreational boat traffic, and that's just not my thing. But as the much. game and fish oversees that? We do. We, uh, we administer boating laws that have been enacted by the legislature. That's uh, one, one of our areas that, that, uh, that we do. And okay, the last season, fall. Fall. 
I'm good. That's another time when I like to go fishing. I like to. Uh, I think find, you just like to fish. I do love to fish. Uh, I like to to find schooling largemouth or, or or stripers or hybrid stripers in October is a good time. They're feeding up, getting fat for winter, and also starting to to think about uh, duck season a little bit. In, in the <laughs> you fall. didn't say anything about dove. Or deer. I do. No, dove. I mean, see, that's kind of late summer. I mean. Uh, that's uh, my favorite one. It's no, warm. It is. It's and you get warm to just and stand it's around. Social. Uh, I am. I, I have done a lot of deer hunting over the years. I don't really deer hunt very much anymore. I, uh, I'm Duck hunting and fishing are my two big things. Well, cleaning that deer make you not want to have to deer hunt. I love to eat venison, though. I've got a lot of. The good, new, the good thing is I've got a lot of friends who still deer hunt a lot. And so uh, I've got a lot of venison in the freezer. Because uh, we didn't even get to the. I'm, I'm a huge foodie. I love I was to say, eat. You cook. I cook a lot. You Part of your show is cooking. Yeah, we've been trying to incorporate a lot more of that. But yes, I love to cook. I got a sous vide. Uh, I uh, saw device. you talking about that. Uh, Tell everybody what that is. It's uh, basically a water circulator and heater. Uh, it's a French cooking technique uh, that was been really big in restaurants for the last twenty plus years. But you can get a home version now for anywhere from a hundred to two hundred bucks. And you basically you heat the water to sous vide is French for under vacuum. You seal the meat or vegetable or whatever it is. Uh, in in a plastic bag uh, i use a, a vacuum sealer but you can use ziploc bags uh, as well just get as much of the air out as possible and then you immerse that that whatever material you're going to cook i usually do meat but it is a very precise cooking method where you get it if you want it to you want a medium rare steak you set it at 135 degrees and from edge to edge there's no Variance, it is going to be perfectly but you medium know what I don't rare like about side that? to side. You're cooking in plastic. I don't like but it. it's but it's BPA free plastic. Oh, there you go. Uh, the game of fish. Is that okay. Com- yeah, that one's okay. In two thousand, okay, we're almost out of time. In two thousand eleven, Mike Beebe appointed Steve Cook at, from Malvern as the commissions as the Arkansas Game and Fish Commissioners commission's chairman mm-hmm. and i guess he still is till 2018 yeah this is steve's last year his term so uh, the way amendment 35 which established the present form of the game and fish commission in 1944 it is constitutionally dictated as an amendment to the arkansas constitution how the game and fish works we have some autonomy from the state legislature and uh but the governor appoints a commissioner every year and they serve seven year terms can't do it again can't you do it cannot twice do it twice do you want to uh, be it well, I couldn't be as an employee. Now, if I left, I, I could be, you know, maybe one day down the road, if we ever, you know, get rich selling this conchistadors cheese dip, and then maybe <laughs> I can retire from Game and Fish and, uh, and and be a commissioner and make the rules. It's a tough job, though. What's it's the advice or idea job. that you want to convey to our listeners about the natural state? Oh, just, uh, you know, I, th- I think, you know, when I traveled with ESPN all over the country, it amazed me how little people knew about Arkansas. And I was kind of okay with that because I like it being a well-kept secret. Uh, but don't take for granted what we have here. We are very fortunate. I mentioned the conservation sales tax. We're one of only two states that uh, funds conservation work in the state, you know, but you know, everybody pays for it. Uh, we have some incredibly special places, a diversity of habitats from the coastal plain and the Delta to the Washita's and Ozarks. Um, 
We got two mountain ranges in Arkansas. Remember that we have that and go out and take advantage of it. I I, I just wrote an intro to uh, the Fish Arkansas magazine that the Arkansas Times puts out as their guest editor. And I said, uh, fishing, but hunting as well, and the great outdoors in general, uh, in these two often uh, troubling and disturbing times that we live in, uh, they are uh, a a salve for the soul. And uh, so get out there and enjoy what we've got here in Arkansas. Salve for the soul. That is a tweetable moment. Thank you, Trey. You've got to come back. And Thanks. for coming on the show, I have you a present. It's a suede decorative flag with a duck in the Oh, in, that is in, too a camo cool. duck flag. A camo duck flag. Carrie, you've done your research. You know me well. Thank you <laughs> so right. much. You're welcome. <laughs> I just want to say to all of our listeners, thank you for spending time with me and with Trey. If you think this program's been for you, it has been. You're right. But it's also been for me. Thank you for letting me fulfill my destiny. My hope today is that you've heard or learned something that's been inspiring, enlightening, and that it, whatever it is, will help you up your business, your independence, or your life. I'm Carrie McCoy, and I'll see you next time on Up In Your Business. Until then, be brave and keep it up. You've been listening to Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy. If you'd like to hear this program again, next week go to flagandbanner.com. Click the tab labeled Radio Show, and there you'll find a podcast with links to resources you heard discussed on today's show. Carrie's goal? To help you live the American dream.